0: Well, hello everybody. Welcome back to the PWH podcast. If you are unfamiliar with what PWH stands for, it stands for
1: Pathway Home.
0: Pathway Home. That is that is not just a podcast. That is also our online church. Our our on ground church is called Pathway. Pathway. Pathway SFV. SFV means San Fernando Valley. Yeah, that's where we are here in the LA area in Southern California. But um. I want to invite you to uh, join us for the next period of time. We are talking about the scripture. We're talking about the Bible, God's word. Uh, and the best way to talk about it, in my opinion,
1: conversation is
0: just conversation. Yeah. We kind of have an idea of where we're going, but then we just start talking about the issues of life.
2: Yeah.
0: And I have had the best conversations about the Bible around my kitchen table, around my dining room table. I know we're in a studio here, but.
2: Too. Just imagine a table. <laughs>
0: you're sitting here at the table with us, yeah. talking with us. And we're going to do, uh, as the podcast continue, we want to do live sessions uh, where we are actually asking you guys questions. You're, uh, or you're asking us questions. We're talking about it live. And so this is your, this is part of your church. Yeah,
1: sit at the table with us.
0: That's sit at with. the table and let's talk about Jesus. Yeah. Did you actually know that there is a... Uh, a verse in scripture, actually in the book of Malachi, Malachi, one of the last scriptures in the Old Testament that says that people were, uh, were talking about the things of the Lord and there were books that were opened and that were ri- writing down the things that they were saying. In other words, when we just talk about Jesus and we have a heart of passion for him,
2: yeah.
0: God is recording those conversations mm. saying, that's somebody who loves me. Wow. That's somebody who wants me. That's so good. Yeah. I love it. Well, anyways, join us, uh, join us and welcome to the PWH podcast.
2: Yeah.
0: We're going to get rocking and rolling with the end time stuff. There's some stuff that in a previous podcast we talked about, um, about the end times that I had mentioned, but we never circled back to. So this
1: is part two today.
0: It's part two. We're going to talk about the wedding imagery of the end times.
1: I don't know about you, but I'm excited for this one. All right, let's do it. I'm going to learn a lot of stuff right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's do it. All right. Yeah, so, okay, well, welcome, everybody. Welcome uh, those who are watching this. uh, 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 They're watching this on our website. You're listening. uh, But those of us who are uh, watching right now, there's about 72 of you connected right now. We're going to talk about the end times. We talked about this a couple podcasts ago. Yeah. We did a live session and we, all, we, all, we talked about some other things. But there's something that I mentioned on that podcast that I want to circle about, uh, back around and talk about because it's such a huge issue. It's such a huge theme when you talk about the end times, and it's the wedding imagery yeah. of the end times. It's so amazing. I, <laughs> it's, it's wedding imagery because. At the very end of the Bible, the very end of the book of Revelation, you have this woman whose name is the bride of Christ. And you don't have a bride if there's not going to be a wedding. And so if we're talking about the end times and we're talking about um, Jesus marrying the church, if we're talking about all of that stuff, the, the, the culmination of these end times is the marriage supper of the lamb where Jesus actually has a marriage supper with his church. How amazing is that? Yeah. Now, for us dudes, that seems a little weird. It's like I ain't going to be nobody's bride. <laughs> but it's it it doesn't have to do with that um with with a sexual nature of anything. It, it doesn't have to do with any of that When you think about a marriage, what is a marriage? A marriage is an exclusive relationship that is fruitful, it's intimate, and it's ever-growing. And so God established marriage in our world today not because it was just a good idea, not because only because families are important— he established marriage so that he would have a context for the kind of relationship that he wants with us. Mm. And so when it talks about the marriage supper of the lamb, it's not necessarily marriage as you and I think of it, that we're, we go to the courthouse and we write a document out and or, or fill out a document. Then we have, uh, you know, then it's just a man and a woman living and producing kids together. And and hopefully living in honor and respect and for a lifetime but marriage is not a contract it is a covenant many people think of marriage just as a contract today and it has nothing to do with contractual stuff because a contract can be broken Mm -hmm. but god said what i have joined together let not man separate and so god says i want that kind of relationship with you i want it to be exclusive I want it to be pure. I want it to be honoring. I want it to be fruitful. I want it to be growing. I want it to be intimate. That's the kind of relationship. And and our understanding of marriage is the context in which God placed on earth so that we would understand the kind of relationship He wants with us. Yeah. <laughs> you, you look no, like you're I'm, about
2: to
1: say something. No, I'm just I'm interested in what you're saying because you know, in a lot of it, you're saying that this is the imagery that God has set, you know, for and then a contract today can be broken. Would you say that our society today has twisted the view of marriage and henceforth twisted the view of God and what he wants with us oh, in the man, relationship. You,
0: go through and read the book of Malachi about about what God thinks about yeah. marriage and how people were treating it. They were treating it as contractual. They were con- tre- uh, treating it as if it was something light, something to be despised. It's okay to cheat, it's okay to sleep around, it's okay to dishonor your spouse. Um, that's actually one of the reasons God told his priests in the book of Malachi, basically you offer me your, your offerings, you offer me your sacrifices, you offer me your prayers, you pour your tears out on my altar, and I am not going to listen to any of it because you have dishonored the wife of your youth. Wow. Dang. Yeah. The apostle Peter says the same thing in his, um, in his epistles. Says basically, you know, honor each other lest your prayers not be heard so this is this is a a metaphor the marriage the issue of marriage and family is a metaphor for the kind of relationship god has with us i mean think of it we got dad we have mom we have child Mm -hmm. right we have father god we have the son jesus christ then we have the holy spirit and and this would be a great subject for another podcast uh, or even just a straight up teaching, but the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible has very feminine qualities. Hmm. And it's and it's oh, it's so good that that you can there you can make a biblical link between what God called the woman as the helpmeet or the helper, the Ezer in the in the Hebrew, yeah. and the role of the Holy Spirit that we see in the New Testament as our helper, our comforter, our our um, our advocate. Our teacher. Man, when I needed comfort, I'm going to tell you right now, I didn't go to dad. <laughs> <laughs> I went to mom. Yeah. And, it's, and to see the role of the Holy Spirit is actually very feminine quality. So you have the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son. And then in, in, in the natural family, the way God designed it, you have father, mother, and child. Wait a minute. Maybe marriage and family is an earthly symbolism of the Trinity itself. And maybe that's why the devil hates it so much. He wants to destroy it and pervert it.
1: Which is exactly what's been going on.
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: So when you get to, you know, the wedding imagery in the end times, how does that all fit together? Okay, you so we talked the puzzles. Okay, so
0: let's talk about some of Jesus' parables. Yeah. Let's, let's start there. Jesus talked about several parables in wedding imagery. He said the, the, the king sent out invitations to his son's wedding. Right. That's pretty dang obvious. Yeah. (laughs) Invitation. And then there's people say, well, I'm busy. I can't do this. I've got things to do. And he says, go into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. And so so his the, the, the king's servants went out and they found people to bring into the wedding feast
1: after they had rejected.
0: Yeah. After the, the original in the the original people who were invited had rejected the invitation. So he said, now get anybody. I want my house full for my son's wedding. Now, if we're talking about the king, who is the king above all kings? It's, it's God, the father. Yeah. And, and he says, I want my son's wedding. And obviously the Bible talks about Jesus marrying the bride. So this is very obvious what, what Jesus is talking about. This is how he viewed himself. This is how he viewed his ministry. Now, at the end of that parable, they had compelled all these people to come in the house. And then there was uh, somebody who said, uh, where the king said, Hey, my friend, why don't you have the right clothes on? Where are your wedding clothes? Why are you dressed, why are you dressed in, in tatters? Mm-hmm. Well, um, 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 and he said, Throw them out of my house. Mm. You know, it sounds, it sounds almost like, you know, God's playing favorites or something and he's not playing favorites. The book of revelation says, blessed are those who keep their garments clean. That God is not though. God wants everybody in his house. He wants everybody at the wedding feast. He said, there's going to be some who have not kept their garments clean and that cannot be allowed in the wedding. Mm -hmm. It cannot be allowed in my presence. Even think of how we treat weddings now. Yeah. I mean, if you were getting married today, would you be wearing what you're wearing? Nope.
1: No. I would not be wearing that. I mean, you don't
0: look bad, but you don't look like a bride either. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know? Wearing brown, sure. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're not wearing brown at your wedding. Yeah. And, and I certainly wouldn't be dressed like this. Or I wasn't. <laughs> for my wedding, I had a nice tux on. Yeah. Which I did not pick out. My wife did, by the way. She basically did everything. Hey, what do you think about this for our wedding? Great. I love it.
1: Just tell me what to wear, and I'm showing that's up. That's <laughs> exactly
0: right. What do you think about these colors of flowers? Great. <laughs>
1: you
0: know, that's just kind of how it goes with with guys. But um, but in in the back to the parable, he threw that man out because he was not properly dressed, which is a huge a huge um, uh, uh, indication for us what God wants from us. He says, "Look, I want you in the wedding, but you need to be dressed properly. Mm. You need to be clean." You need to, your heart needs to beat for me. So that's one of, that's one of the parables. Another parable that Jesus talked about very much about the end times is the parable of the 10 young women and that all of them had a lamp. Now the ancient lamps is a little clay, a little clay deal and you got oil in it and there's a wick and, and, um, and there's a flame on the wick, obviously pulling from the oil. And so he says there were 10 young women and they were waiting for the groom come on now, bridegroom, if that's not wedding imagery, I don't know what is. So they are waiting for the wedding to start. They're waiting for the appearing of the groom and the groom was delayed in coming. And so, uh, so they started kind of nod off, fall asleep and their oil goes out. Now, five of the girls had extra oil. And so they refilled their lamps Trimmed their wicks, lit the flame. Boom! They're ready to go. Yeah. The others did not bring enough oil, and they said, "Hey, hey, hey! Can you, uh, g- can you lend us some of your oil?" I say, "Look, no, I can't. I can't give you oil because um, I won't have enough for me. So you need to go buy some of your own." And while they were out buying, the groom comes. Five of them did not make it. There, now, there's a couple things. Jesus is coming again. Yeah. If we're talking about end times, we're talking about Jesus is coming again. Yeah. And this is an end times parable. And it's an end times parable set in wedding imagery. And Jesus said, I'm coming again. I am the groom and I'm set to marry the bride. And there's people that are waiting. And he said, and, and, and the, the imagery of the, the parable is there were 10 young women. They were all waiting in the same place for the same amount of time with the same lamps, the same oil, the same flame." waiting for the same person Hmm. and five of them still missed it. During the interim period, they let their oil run out and they didn't have enough. That speaks to several things. Number one, it speaks to don't let your oil run out. Keep yourself watchful. Don't nod off. Keep that flame alive. And the other thing is you can't have oil for somebody else. Hmm you have to maintain your own oil my salvation is not enough for you
1: yeah it's kind of talking about um you know even what uh, my parents would tell me before you know just because our parents are saved doesn't mean that we are it doesn't rub off to the next person or you know just because you tune into a service just because you're saved doesn't mean that you're gonna save me yeah doesn't go on doesn't go that way
0: <laughs> no no you have to maintain your own spiritual life in front of God. Okay, so now let's get to let's get to some more wedding imagery. Now, back in the book of Jeremiah, God was so disgusted with his people that they were so unfaithful to him. By the way, here's some wedding imagery for you. Every time God's people went into idolatry, God equated it to prostitution. Mm-hmm. Why? Because a bride is for one and only one. A bride keeps herself—a bride is faithful.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, And and what do we see at the very end of the book of Revelation? We see two women. We see the bride of Christ and the whore of Babylon. Wow. And it's no coincidence that God equates idolatry or leaving him to prostitution or to sexual unfaithfulness— Because a marriage is to have sexual faithfulness. He says, you've gone after other things in this life. You've gone after idols. You've gone after your own way. You have forgotten about me. That is literally or or spiritual prostitution. Yeah, that's that's pretty heavy. And so because they were um, uh, spiritually unfaithful in the book of Jeremiah, it says that God issued them a certificate of divorce. Now the Bible says in the book of Malachi, God hates divorce, but yet, and a lot of people don't realize this, God himself got divorced mm-hmm. He divorced his people in the book of jeremiah what wow now now this this is where it gets really good because according to the law of Moses, you could not get remarried after you had been divorced and God certainly holds himself to his own laws. God doesn't require of people what he doesn't require of himself. Hmm. And so if God says, listen, once you're divorced, boom, that's it. Unless the spouse dies. Once the spouse dies, the contract or not the contract, I'm sorry, the covenant is done and you are free to marry again. So how is God, who was married to Israel, now going to marry the bride when he already issued them a, a certificate of divorce? Well, this is the beautiful thing about God. God loves people so much. He lo- His passion is for people. And he wants to marry them again. Except the only thing that could dissolve the former covenant was death. So what did God do? He came and as a man. He came in the person of Jesus Christ and what did Jesus do? Jesus died. He died and when he died that that former marriage was dissolved. Not to say that God is leaving Israel. That's not that's a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. Not at all. You know Romans 11 the natural branches and the, the, the wild branches grafted in, which are us. And so God's not done with Israel, but the former covenant. And remember, even in Jeremiah and the book of Ezekiel, it says God is making a new covenant. Yeah. Okay. So stay with me here. So, so God divorces Israel. Now let's fast forward to the crucifixion or right before the crucifixion, you have Jesus in the upper room. And and he is giving his disciples uh, the Passover meal. OK, and this is where we get communion from the bread and the blood. This is where Jesus said, my bread, my bread is my body broken for you. The cup is my my cup. So there are in the, the, the Jewish Seder, the Jewish Passover meal. There are four cups. And if you'll remember, Jesus said to his disciples, he took the cup and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is my blood. And he says, I will not drink again of the cup until I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. That was one of the cups of the Passover meal, which was the cup of, you know, consummation. Why didn't he drink it? Because he's not married yet. Yeah. Because he is the, the, the bride is not ready to be consummated yet. So he says, I'm not going to drink this until I drink it with you anew. You know what some of the suffer, what marriage sufferer, of the Lamb is going to look like? It's going to look like the Passover meal. Mm. And Jesus is going to lift that cup that he did not drink on the night of his crucifixion. Wow. And he's going to drink it in our presence in heaven, the cup of consummation. Oh, my gosh, how amazing is that? So, so the only thing that could d- dissolve the old covenant was death. And Jesus says, this is the blood of the new covenant. And what happened just a few hours later? Jesus dies. The old covenant is now dissolved, and he is now establishing a new covenant. But he doesn't stay dead. He rises again from the dead, freeing him from the former covenant. And now he's going to say, now he's saying, now I'm going to be, now you are going to be my bride. How amazing is that? Yeah. Okay, so now let's take it another step further. So Jesus says, remember, we're talking about the end times. End times has to do with Jesus coming back. Jesus says, nobody knows the day or the hour, right? Nobody knows when when he's coming back. Actually, Jesus himself doesn't know. By the way, that is Jewish wedding symbolism. When he says, not even the sun knows, we don't have a context for that in our culture here in the United States. But, but there's a reason Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back, because it's wedding symbolism. Jesus then says, um, I am going away to prepare a place for you. But if I go away, I am going to come back. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But if I'm going, I'm also coming. Okay? So why is that wedding symbolism? Very simple. Because in the way of the Jewish wedding— Uh, they would be betrothed and then there was a waiting period between the betrothal and the marriage. And during that waiting period, the bride had certain things to do and the groom had certain things to do. They had not consummated the marriage yet, but they were, I suppose they were in the contract, but they hadn't sealed the covenant yet. So during that time, the groom had to go and prepare a house for them. He had to make sure his finances were in order he needed to make sure his job was in order. He needed to make sure that, he, or that their house was either prepared or built out mm-hmm. so that he could bring a bride and a family into a house. In other words, don't get married until you got some stuff in order, which is really good advice for anybody. <laughs> um, oh, my gosh, I've got so much to say about that. But I've, I've talked to my children about this. Saying, you know why I got married? I was 21 years old when I got married. So you know why I got married? For a few reasons. Number one, I had a job. Yeah. Number two, I found the right person. Number two, I, three, I knew it was God's will. And number four, I had vision and direction for my life. Hmm. And that made things ready. Okay, so let's get back to the wedding <laughs> sim- uh, uh, imagery. So the groom had to prepare a place. Jesus says, I am going to prepare a place. And then the father would go and inspect the groom's stuff. He would inspect his house, his finances, inspect all of that stuff. And when the father said it was ready, the father said to the groom, you can go get your bride now. Mm. The groom did not know the day or the hour his father would give the final approval. So Jesus says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And when I prepare a place, I'm going to come back for you. But not even the son knows the day or the hour. Mm. Why? Only the father knows. When everything is ready, the father will look at the son and say, it's time. Go get your bride. How amazing is that? How cool is that? (laughs) I love it. And so when the rapture happens, it's because the father has given the approval. And I think there's things gonna, that are going to happen in the rapture that people who don't go on the rapture um, are not going to understand. Honestly, you know what I think is going to happen?
2: Tell us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, this is my own conjecture, okay? So okay. <laughs> this, is, this is my opinion. I'm not claiming divine revelation, and the Bible certainly doesn't say this. But I think people are going to disappear, and the unbelieving world around us are going to think, gonna think <gasps> aliens. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Yeah. I could be wrong about that. And if I am, I'm happy to admit it. <laughs> but, but I think they're not going to understand what happens. Now, what's going to happen after the rapture? Because the Bible says that Jesus is going to come back with ten thousands of his saints. Okay. Now, it's not just ten thousand. Ten thousand is a metaphorical number of like a bazillion. It's like us it's like saying, Jesus is going to come back with a bazillion of his saints, right? <laughs> um, he's going to come back with 10,000 of his saints. So what is, is that at the same time as the rapture? Well, that doesn't make sense. So if that happens at the same time as the rapture, that means... We're going to go up, as the book, Bible says in in the book of 1st, 2nd Thessalonians. It talks about we're going to meet the Lord in the air. Does that mean we're going to meet him in the air and then immediately turn around and he's going to come back? So it's like, hey, whoa, we're turning right back. <laughs> well, that doesn't make sense. Um, let me recommend a book for you, which I, I've read, and it is the finest book on Bible prophecy. It's a book by a, a man named Jimmy Evans, and it's called Tipping Point or The Tipping Point. Uh, it is a phenomenal book on Bible prophecy that, and, and the, the return of Christ that, um, uh, that talks about these things way better than me. But it does talk about some of these things that I'm talking about. So I'm going to take, take this from uh, Jimmy Evans' book, Tipping Point, which is actually something I'd never considered. I learned from this man. He's a, he's a, a wonderful t- Bible teacher. He said, what's going to happen? We're going to go up and meet the Lord in the air. Jewish weddings were for seven days. How long is the uh, marriage supper of the Lamb? It's going to be seven years. It it is a period of seven. What will be going on on the earth at the same time as the marriage supper of the Lamb? Tribulation. Hmm. Antichrist. uh, All of that stuff. So... Uh, how long is the tribulation? Do you know? Seven years. Mm-hmm. It, it is a period of seven. And so this makes so much sense to me. Now, maybe I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, fine, I'll admit that I'm wrong, But but this makes so much sense to me. We are up spending a marriage period as a period of seven, while on the earth... There is a period of seven going on, which is the Great Tribulation. Now, the Bible talks about that, that we are not appointed to God's wrath. Yeah. We are not, That those of us who are ready to go will not suffer through the Great Tribulation, but there will be saints in the Great Tribulation. I believe that after the rapture, there is still a period of grace where people can repent and that there will be people coming to Jesus as their Lord and Savior while they are on the earth during the Great Tribulation. I do not plan to be part of that. <laughs> I plan to be um, having a the marriage supper of the Lamb. I would much rather be there than in the great tribulation. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Hundred <laughs> percent. And so you you got to make sure you're ready to go.
1: Yeah.
0: You got to make sure that your your life is is tracking with Jesus, that your heart is for Him like a bride waiting for her groom. A bride is not ambivalent towards her groom. She's in love. She's ready to go meet him. She's ready to start a life. And the groom likewise. They're they're passionate. They're ready. They're so um, amazingly in love. They cannot wait to start this together. That is the kind of heart that Jesus is looking for in his bride. Not one that just says, oh, I want to go to heaven someday. Hmm. Oh, I just, uh, uh, rapture ready. All right, Lord, beam me up. (laughs) You know, I'm rapture ready. (laughs) If you're thinking of just, I just just want to go to heaven. I would suggest that your mentality is wrong. Your mentality is wrong about it. Because it's not about getting to heaven. It's about the presence. Mm. It's about him. It's about him and only him. If you don't like the presence of God, you're not going to like heaven. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is not looking for a bride that's just going to take up space in heaven. He's looking for a bride that's going to be passionate for him. And if you have God's presence, you'll have heaven. Don't worry about it but he's looking for this. He's not looking for, I just want to slide under those pearly gates. I can live for hell during my life, repent at the last moment, and just barely make it under the pearly gates. Mm. Mm. No, that's not what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for somebody who loves him. So we talked about the groom. Now let's talk about the bride for a moment. So I I told you that there was a period of time of betrothal. They were betrothed, period of waiting time until the groom comes back and gets his bride. So the groom is making the place and getting finances, order, getting things ready for his wife and their their uh, kids that will be coming. So what is the bride doing at this time? Well, this period of waiting is called the Kedushin. Now, I love that word because of what it means. The word for holiness... In Hebrew is the word kodesh, and it means something that is totally set apart. Okay, so so if kodesh, the 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 Q D S H sound or the sheen. Q D sheen, right? Mm-hmm. Kodesh, and what's the betrothal period called? The kiddushin. You see the Q D sheen mm-hmm. sound, kiddushin. In other words the root word for the betrothal period is actually the word for holiness. Mm -hmm. So what is the bride doing in the meantime? And right now, we as the bride of Christ, we are in the meantime. We are in the betrothal period while we are waiting for the groom to come. And it is literally called the period of holiness. And what is holiness? Set apart. What is more set apart than a bride waiting for her groom in purity, in holiness, in passion, in and, and in love, for one and only one. Yes. And so, there are other things that were going on during during the kiddushin period, the betrothal period. It was she was learning to be a homemaker, and she was learning to beautify herself. She would get this little makeup kit. Uh, and she would learn how to both be a wife, learn to be a mother, keep the house, make herself beautiful. So what does that, how does that apply to us? It means that in the meantime, not only are we setting ourselves aside for Jesus, we are beautifying ourselves. We're beautifying ourselves with salvation. We're, we're keeping our garments clean and we're learning to be homemakers. What does that mean? We are learning how to tend to the house of the Lord
2: Hmm.
0: in purity, in passion, and in just absolute love for him. We are making ourselves ready as his bride. That actually is way more important than any other teaching you will hear on the end times. Well, what about the dragon? And what about the lady with the the stars and the crowned with the sun and the moon and the planet Jupiter? And what about, you know, uh, the, the ten horns? And what about a time and a time and half a time and seven years of tribulation and the bowl judgments and the trumpet judgments? Yes, all of those things are there. But you know what the book of Revelation is really about? It's not so much about the end times as it is about chapters one, two, and three. And, cha- and, and uh, chapter one, verse one, you want to know what the book of Revelation is really about? It's about Revelation one, verse one, that says the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. It's about Jesus. And in chapter one, there is an, a, a stunning revelation of Jesus and his glory. And then in chapter two and three, Jesus writes letters to his church, seven letters to seven churches. And he basically says this is how I want you to get ready. That's what revelation is actually about. It's about being faithful. It's about being in love with Jesus and it's about keeping yourself pure. And it's about separating yourself from the things of this world, no matter what happens. That is the end times right there. That is the most important thing for me and you. We live on Jesus terms and we do as he says, we keep ourselves faithful pure and persevering until he comes for us.